Hello and welcome to the First Stand Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown, and in today's episode, we are going to review all those Week 18 football games as well as briefly look ahead to some of those playoff matchups. But before we get into that, I want to give a quick shout out to the North Dakota State Bison. Their football team yesterday took on Montana State in the FCS national title game, and North Dakota State was able to pull out the win, which clinched them their ninth national title since the year 2011 quite an impressive feat when you think about the fact that unlike Alabama a lot of people compare North Dakota State to Alabama but the one consistent for Alabama is the coach Nick Saban has been there for the for the whole duration of the dynasty there at Alabama North Dakota State's had multiple coaches so very impressive feat for the Bison there Another thing I wanted to update you guys on was that recruiting saga of Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, it sounds like he's got a couple visits in the works right now. One to UCLA. UCLA is looking to bolster their quarterback room, and Chip Kelly is trying to get Williams to come in there. Another school, though, that Williams plans to visit is USC. The reason I find that one so interesting, obviously, Lincoln Riley is his former head coach, so could Williams just decide to take a lateral move there and go with Riley to USC? Be interesting to see what he decides to do there. One school, though, that I don't think Williams is going to be looking at anymore is Auburn. Auburn was able to land themselves a nice transfer quarterback in Zach Calzada, the former Texas A&M starting quarterback. So don't think Auburn's in the works anymore. Could still potentially be looking at a school like Notre Dame. Notre Dame went into the portal this past year to get themselves Jack Cohen, the quarterback from Wisconsin. So Notre Dame is familiar with getting starting quarterbacks from the portal. Another team I could see being in the works is LSU. LSU's got a new coach in Brian Kelly. They're going to look to try and compete right away, especially with the money they're paying Kelly. Caleb Williams would help them to be relevant immediately in the SEC. Be interesting to see if LSU plays a factor in Williams' decision at all. Briefly previewing that upcoming national title game between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Alabama Crimson Tide, I will tell you I expect Georgia to win that football game. I think it's really hard to beat a really good football team like the Georgia Bulldogs twice in one season. I think it's even harder to beat them twice back-to-back like this. You know, they just played in the SEC national title game, so I know they both played a, you know, a college football semifinal game in between that, but to be playing that so, you know, that close together, I really don't think Alabama can pull that out. I think it's going to be especially hard for Alabama, given the fact that they're not going to be at full strength. John Mechie Jr. will not be playing in this game. He, of course, being one of their better wide receivers, obviously Jamison Williams is their number one, but John Mechie Jr. clearly was their number two and was a great deep ball threat for them. I think that will hurt that offense significantly. I expect Georgia to pull out the W there. But looking ahead to some of these playoff matchups, now that we've got the playoff field set, the NFL's playoff field is set. So looking at some of those field matchups, obviously we know the Green Bay Packers are the one seed in the NFC. They locked it up. They're going to get the first round by. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to clinch the two seed. And with that, they're going to play the Philadelphia Eagles. Philly will be going to Tampa Bay. Other matchups in the NFC, you'll have the San Francisco 49ers going to the Dallas Cowboys, and the Arizona Cardinals will be going to the Los Angeles Rams. We will preview in greater detail those matchups and really look at them in greater detail later on this week. So we're not going to get into them a ton now. Just wanted to tell you guys what the playoff matchups would be. In the AFC, the Tennessee Titans, they get the one seed. They secure the first round bye. No worry for them not having to play in wildcard weekend. But the Pittsburgh Steelers are able to squeak into the playoffs. And waiting for them, the reward for squeaking into the playoffs is a matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. Great reward there for Big Ben and those guys. Um, The Las Vegas Raiders, also another team who was able to get into the playoffs on some uh, wildness, but they're going to go to the Cincinnati Bengals. They'll be playing in Cincinnati in their first-round matchup, and the New England Patriots are going to have to go to the Buffalo Bills for their first-round matchup. Like I said, we'll dissect those games in greater detail later on this week, but let's talk about how we got there. Let's review those Week 18 matchups. We're filming this at about 1.15 a.m. here on Monday morning, so just about an hour, hour and 15 after that Chargers-Raiders game wrapped up here. And let's take a look at that Chargers-Raiders game first. Um, First and foremost, can we stop the Jim Harbaugh to the Las Vegas Raiders talk? 
Jim Harbaugh is not going to be the Raiders' next head coach because the Raiders don't have to look for a next head coach. They just need to give Rich Basaccia the job. Rich Basaccia should not be the interim head coach anymore. He should just be the head coach. Rich Basaccia was their special teams coordinator coming into the year. When everything went down with John Gruden, they promoted Basaccia to interim head coach, and he has done a marvelous job keeping the Raiders in contention and now getting them into the playoffs. They didn't just have to navigate Gruden. Gruden's debacle, though. They had the issue with Henry Ruggs, and not only did that affect the locker room, but Henry Ruggs was a significant part of this offense. What his talent allowed them to be able to do in the passing game, I mean, you cannot quantify how bad that hurt this football team. They tried to bring in Deshaun Jackson and kind of, you know, mitigate the loss and, you know, kind of make sure that they still had the deep threat. But Deshaun Jackson's not Henry Ruggs at this point. Losing Henry Ruggs hurt them greatly. And then another first-round pick, Damon Arnett, the corner from The Ohio State University, he goes and does whatever it was he was thinking on Instagram Live, cost him his job with the Raiders. So you've got that going on. Then right before this game, Nate Hobbs goes and gets himself arrested for DUI. Nate Hobbs being their starting corner, their rookie out of Illinois. So the Raiders just had to weather a lot of storms. And really, they had to weather a lot of storms in this game as well their offensive line tried to lose that football game their, their offensive line is it's a sad unit I, that is the one area that I don't understand what the Raiders were thinking Mike Mayock in the offseason he traded away starting center Rodney Hudson to the Arizona Cardinals and he traded away starting guard Gabe Jackson to the Seattle Seahawks both of those guys are two of the better players at their positions in the National Football League and I, I just I don't know what he was thinking. I know they want to build the offensive line around Colton Miller, their former first-round pick at tackle out of UCLA. I understand that, and I know that they want to give you know Brandon Parker, the former middle-round tackle out of North Carolina A&T. They want to give him an expanded role. They really felt good about some of their other you know linemen. Obviously, they retained Richie Incognito, the veteran guard, but he was banged up a lot this year. It just that Raiders offensive line is abysmal. They, you know, they spent the first round pick on Alex Leatherwood, which at the time everybody was like, why did you do that? Alex Leatherwood would have been there in the second round. He has been a disaster this year. So really that Raiders offensive line is just atrocious and they played atrocious again tonight. Hunter Renfro though, Hunter Renfro did not play atrocious. Hunter Renfro went over a hundred catches in this football game and Hunter Renfro has some of the crispest route running in football. The two routes he ran to score both his touchdowns tonight were just beautiful. Hunter Renfro definitely gives the Raiders a beautiful target on offense. And Derek Carr, Derek Carr played some good football tonight. You know, we talked about how his offensive line is just an absolute disaster. Darren Waller, his star tight end, just could not get it going tonight. And Carr was still able to weather all that and get his team a W. Hats off to Derek Carr. This is going to be his first playoff football game you know the last time the Raiders were in the playoffs and Carr was on the roster he was injured he was not able to play in that game so exciting for him as far as looking at the Chargers the Chargers Justin Herbert is a special quarterback and Justin Herbert's going to have that team in the playoffs I really think they'll be in the playoffs next year but Justin Herbert is he is a special talent what he was able to do to even keep his football team alive bringing them back in the fourth quarter and getting them into overtime is truly special. I put this loss on Brandon Staley, their head coach. I know Brandon Staley's a first-year head coach and there's going to be growing pains and he's, you know, he's an aggressive coach and I like aggressive coaches. But Brandon Staley went for it in the first half deep in his own territory when it he really didn't need to. It was a close football game at that time. But Brandon Staley goes for it, and he doesn't get it. The Chargers don't get it. So the Raiders take over deep in Charger territory, already in field goal range. And, you know, the defense holds. The Chargers don't give up the touchdown. They hold the Raiders to the field goal. But that was guaranteed points. And this game ended up being decided by a field goal. And Daniel Carlson is a very good kicker. Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels told us at least a half dozen times that Daniel Carlson's never missed a kick in the Raiders' new stadium. So we knew Daniel Carlson was very accurate. Daniel Carlson went five for five tonight. Why are you giving the Raiders easy points? I did not understand that at all from a Brandon Staley coaching perspective. The other takeaway from this game is can we check the pulse of Steeler Nation right now? Steelers fans had to have been on the edge of their seats. I mean, at one point, I thought Chris Collinsworth was going to try and speak the tie into existence. He mentioned the two teams just playing for a tie 
I, I think at least 15 times in that broadcast, I began to wonder if he thought if he said it enough, would it just happen? But uh, Steelers fans, I don't think next year you want to leave your playoff chances in the hands of another kicker. Um, maybe just don't tie the Detroit Lions next year and you'll be okay. But moving on from that Chargers-Raiders game, looking at some of these Saturday games that we saw, let's start with the Chiefs and Broncos. Of course, the Chiefs pulled that one out, final score of 28-24. to And really, you know, the after effects of that game where Vic Fangio was fired almost instantaneously the next morning, I'm not surprised at all with that one. I thought Vic Fangio coached to get fired. Um, really, Vic Fangio did a few things in that game that just left me absolutely speechless. First and foremost, why was Drew Locke not playing for them sooner? Drew Locke gave that football team a swagger that they had not had in weeks. And I'm not saying that Drew Locke is a good quarterback. I'm not saying that Drew Locke is some special talent. But the bottom line is Teddy Bridgewater is not a special talent either. And Drew Locke is a gunslinger, and the Broncos needed that. Their offense has looked anemic at times this year. They needed that gunslinger mentality. You know, he reminds me a lot of Brett Favre just without the talent, that being Drew Locke. But what Drew Locke was able to do on the ground is what the Broncos, you know, that really gave the Broncos a chance, his rushing ability when he would get out of the pocket and scramble. But Fangio, after the game, you know, the reporters ask Fangio, what's the difference between you and the other three teams in the AFC West? And Fangio goes, well, we just don't have an elite quarterback like those three teams. I've, I've never heard a head coach say that. I, do, I don't understand why Vic Fangio would say that. And to me, that sealed his fate. But a couple other things that he just did that I just absolutely blew my mind. They had a chance. They had it deep in Chiefs territory, under five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's fourth down. It's 28-21 at the time. And Fangio settles for the field goal. He kicks the field goal, brings it within four. It's 28-24. But the reason I questioned that call at the time was because we'd already seen the Kansas City Chiefs go on a 17-play drive on your defense earlier in the game. So we'd already seen the Chiefs hold the football for 17 plays and almost eight minutes earlier in the game. So we knew the Broncos were not going to get the football back from the Chiefs. And that's exactly what the Chiefs did. They just dinked and dunked all the way down the field. And the Broncos never touched the football again. I did not understand that you don't give Patrick Mahomes a chance to just seal the game like that. I thought that was a terrible decision from Fangio. From a Chiefs perspective, couple injuries that they need to keep an eye on. Tyreek Hill got banged up in warm-ups, so his role was more limited in this football game. Um, they're saying he's fine. He's going to be good to go for the playoff game, but just something to keep an eye on. Obviously, Travis Kelsey got banged up at the end of the game. Also, reports are he's fine. He'll be good to go. Things to keep an eye on, though. You know, the health of the football team, and especially those two players, is key for them to make a playoff run. A couple of takeaways I had, though, from the Chiefs. First and foremost, the Chiefs need to get a number two receiver. You know, obviously, I know they've got Travis Kelsey at tight end. He's one of the best tight ends in football, but they need a number two wide receiver opposite Tyreek Hill. They've tried to make Cole Hardman that guy. Cole Hardman has not lived up to expectations coming out of Georgia. Byron Pringle is not a solid wide receiver at all. He's not a solid option. Demarcus Robinson is not a solid option. And it showed in that Broncos game how much they missed Sammy Watkins because that Broncos game was a typical game where when Sammy Watkins was in Kansas City and Tyreek Hill was banged up or he wasn't playing very well, Sammy Watkins would have taken over and the Chiefs would have been just fine, and they didn't have that other option at receiver to be able to do that. I really think the Chiefs need to go out and look. You know, they were in the Juju Smith-Schuster sweepstakes this past year. I could see them getting involved in that again. I think they've got to go get another wide receiver this offseason. I also think that defense, um, that defense looked pretty sad at times. Yesterday, they got kind of pushed around from that Bronco offensive line. Something to keep an eye on is that defensive line. Obviously, the defense came up big for them, scoring what ended up being the game-winning touchdown when Melvin Ingram ended up strips, you know, stripping Melvin Gordon of the football, and then rookie linebacker Nick Bolton returned it for a touchdown. But still, that defense was getting pushed around a lot from that Broncos offensive line. But moving on from that game, let's look at that Cowboys-Eagles game. Cowboys were able to pull it out 51-26. to um, game was never really in doubt if, if you're a Cowboys fan, it shouldn't have been because this was your starters against their backups. You know, really the only starter that the Eagles played was they played Devonte Smith for just a little bit. Nick Sirianni really wanted Devonte Smith to break Deshaun Jackson's Eagles rookie receiving record. And so once Smith broke that record, Sirianni quickly got him out there. 
you know, and they really, the Eagles, you know, they played guys like Gardner Minshew at quarterback. They were playing Kenneth Gainwell at running back. Jason Huntley took snaps for them at running back. They were not playing their starters. They weren't even playing their starting linemen. Jason Kelsey came in and took one snap at center to keep his uh, streak of starts alive. And then they quickly got him out of the game as well. So the Eagles knew that they were going to play their backups because they knew they'd already clinched a playoff spot. And that's why I'm not really impressed with this Cowboys victory. You know, you beat the backups. Congratulations. You beat them with your starters. Dak Prescott played into the fourth quarter. Same with Ezekiel Elliott. Same with Amari Cooper. I'm, you know... So that win doesn't really oppress me, but it did give me a little bit of concern because I'll be honest, through three quarters, the Cowboys defense could not stop the Eagles rushing attack with their backup offensive line and Jason Huntley, the fifth round pick from the Detroit Lions a year ago. Um, the Cowboys had their starters in. They had Leighton Van Der Esch out there. They had Keanu Neal out there. Now I know Micah Parsons wasn't playing in the football game and Micah Parsons is arguably their best defender. But they still had starters out there. Jordan Lewis was playing corner. He was out there. I mean, you know, they did have a few starters out. You know, Micah Parsons was out. Trayvon Diggs was out. And everybody talks about how Trayvon Diggs, he led the NFL in receptions this year. And that argument drives me nuts. Trayvon Diggs may have led the NFL in receptions this year. He also gave up over 1,000 yards receiving. Trayvon Diggs is not a good corner. He just happens to get, he happens to catch the football when it's thrown in his direction. He also happens to get toasted a lot. So, you know, the Cowboys defense, just bottom line, it's not a good defense. And I look for it to get absolutely exposed by the San Francisco 49ers next weekend. Um, Moving on from that Cowboys and Eagles game, though, let's look at this Browns and Bengals game. You know, first and foremost, I will say good for the Browns to fight and end the year on a somewhat positive note. You know, you still finish with a losing record at eight and nine. That's a tough pill to swallow, especially given where you were projected in the, you know, preseason and what, you know, all the preseason talk was with this football team. Obviously nobody expected Baker Mayfield to be, you know, get banged up like he did this year. So obviously, you know, good for the Browns to end on a winning note, you know, but I don't know how great you feel if you're a Browns fan. You know, the Browns absolutely have to get a number two wide receiver this offseason. Jarvis Landry is still a special talent, and the Browns are going to be in position to get a number two wide receiver in the draft. I don't know that Garrett Wilson will be there when the Browns pick. If he is, the Browns need to sprint that card to the podium because Garrett Wilson would take this offense to the next level. But I still think a guy like Chris Olave or Jamison Williams from Alabama, I think either of those wide receivers would help this Cleveland Browns. Browns offense a ton. Obviously, the Browns are going to stick with Baker Mayfield next year at quarterback. There's no reason not to. He's still on his rookie deal. I think you bring Baker back. What I think the Browns need to decide is, do they want to bring in some quarterback competition? I think a guy like Gardner Minshew could be somebody they look at. Gardner Minshew's also still got a year left on his rookie deal. It's a much more affordable rookie deal, though, given the fact that he was a sixth-round pick. The reason I think a guy like Gardner Minshew could be interesting is because Gardner Minshew is going to come into that building like he is going to win the starting job. And Baker Mayfield needs to be pushed at this point. Baker Mayfield has not earned the right to just be handed the starting job next year. They need to bring somebody in who can push Baker for that starting job. And Gardner Minshew, in his time in the NFL, has thrown for over 5,000 yards. And he's thrown 41 touchdowns to only 11 interceptions. So Gardner Minshew can play football in the NFL. I think you at least bring him in because guess what? If Gardner Minshew does get beat out by Baker Mayfield for the starting job, guess what? Gardner Minshew's still going to be there. So if Baker starts to teeter, if he starts to not play as well, you can put him in. And you know Gardner Minshew's at least going to fight and keep your team relevant. You know, looking at the Bengals, there's not really a whole lot to talk about with this team. You know, they played all their backups today. And that's really what I want to talk about. I have seen a ton of Browns fans today after beating the Bengals talk about how well we swept the division leaders we beat the Bengals twice this year and you are right you did beat the Bengals twice this year and your first win against the Bengals was mighty impressive you absolutely slaughtered the Bengals when you first met up with them this year but to brag about this win to brag about beating the Bengals backups 21 to 16 is not I mean I'm going to read some names of guys who led the Bengals in statistical categories today. Brandon Allen was their starting quarterback for them. Brandon Allen played quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals today. Travion Williams. I don't even know who Travion Williams is, but he led the Bengals in rushing today. The other running back who played significant snaps for the Bengals today was Chris Evans, rookie sixth round pick out of the University of Michigan. The Bengals were led in receiving by a guy named Trent Taylor, who Trent Taylor is probably most notable for uh, 
latching on to the 49ers for, you know, a, you know, fleeting second. The the Bengals had guys in this game today that I'm not sure anybody knew about. And you know, we knew the Bengals were going to play their backups. We expected the Browns to win. I said, you know, in the previous podcast that if the Browns didn't win this football game, it was unacceptable. The Browns had to win this football game. So for me, bragging about this win as a Browns fan is just be quiet. Just just be quiet if you're a Browns fan right now, in my personal opinion, because guess what? Coming into the season, your team was, you know, projected to contend in the AFC. There were people like Chris Sims, which I'm not going to say that Chris Sims gives the best football takes, but people like Chris Sims were saying that you're, you had a top five roster on paper. And you come out and go eight and nine. And I know Browns fans are going to tell me, well, Baker Mayfield was hurt. Baker Mayfield played through a torn labrum and he wasn't the same Baker Mayfield. And then they're going to tell me that Kareem Hunt missed time and that Nick Chubb missed a couple games. But the bottom line is the Browns, you know, Baker Mayfield played. He played in games. He was there. He, he, he played in the football games. You still had Nick Chubb playing in these football games. You still had Jarvis Landry. I know you dealt with injuries this year, but guess what? The Pittsburgh Steelers, with a senior citizen, Ben Roethlisberger, with a shell of himself, just made the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Steelers, with their number one wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster, being out for the year with a shoulder injury, just made the playoffs. The Steelers won a football game today without James Washington. The man who made a key reception for the Steelers, a guy named Ray-Ray McLeod. So the Steelers find a way to win with God, without you know key players out there. The Bengals were only expected to win five games this year. That was the projection coming into the year that the Bengals would win five games and they won the division. You know when you look at Baltimore and Browns fans are going to tell me well Baltimore had a losing record. They went eight and nine too. Lamar Jackson actually missed several football games for them. And before the season even started, J.K. Dobbins is out for the year. Gus Edwards is out for the year. The Ravens are bringing in Le'Veon Bell to play quarterback. Devontae Freeman's playing running back for them. I mean, my bad. Le'Veon Bell was playing running back for them as well, not quarterback. So they have, you know, Bell at running back. They have Devontae Freeman at running back. They have Latavius Murray at running back. They're bringing in guys who haven't been relevant in the NFL for two seasons now. And they're still competing. The Ravens were still in the playoff hunt all the way up to the final week of the regular season. The Browns went into the final game of the regular season already eliminated from playoff contention. Bottom line, Browns fans should not be bragging about anything at this point. They need to stay quiet until that team wins again because you cannot tell me Hey, we've changed the culture here. Kevin Stefanski's turned this football team around. This is a relevant franchise again. You can't tell me that and then celebrate going 8-9 and nine because, well, we swept the division winner. You can't do that, Browns fans. You just need to be quiet. You need to go out and you need to get a number two wide receiver like a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave. You need to shore up some of those question marks on the defense because this is a relevant franchise. I do think the Browns can contend but they don't need to be bragging about beating the Bengals today. That's for sure. Moving on though, from that Browns game, let's talk about that Steelers and Ravens game and have a day. Ben Roethlisberger, Ben Roethlisberger plays behind the worst O line. I think I've ever watched play football and somehow Ben Roethlisberger is going to go to the playoffs with that offensive line. That offensive line was missing starters today too. Dan Moore, their starting left tackle, did not play in that game. They had to play Joe Haig, a reserve lineman out of North Dakota State, and that was painful to watch Joe Haig play football today. You know, they had other linemen just, I mean, the Steelers' offensive line is absolutely terrible, but Big Ben, when they needed him, he came up clutch, obviously hitting Ray Ray McLeod there. You know, big catch there. He went to Pat Fryermuth a couple of times. That second round pick on Pat Fryermuth looks like it's going to pay off beautifully. Pat Fryermuth looks like the tight end that the Steelers have been searching for since Heath Miller retired. He looks like he's got a bright future. We worried a little bit when Najee Harris went out with that injury. It'll be interesting to see how that impacts him for the playoff game against the Chiefs. He was able to come back out there, though. Benny Snell showed me that he has no business playing running back at this point. I, Benny Snell could not get anything going when it was his time to come in um have to you know give a nod to tj watt right now it's tied he tied michael strahan single season sack record there's a lot of push from people that you know his first what we thought was a strip sack that was ruled a tackle for loss they ruled that that was a run not a you know passing play there's talk that that could be overturned and he could hold the single season sack record but 
either way, hats off to TJ Watt. TJ Watt did that in 15 games. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, of course these single season records are being broken this year. There's an extra game. There's 17 games. Well, TJ Watt missed two games this year, so he actually only played in 15 games. So hats off to him for being able to tie the record. Um, the Steelers run defense is another thing I want to talk about though. When's the last time you heard that the Pittsburgh Steelers had the 32nd ranked run defense in football? That's a big issue. I mean, the Steelers have talent there. They've got Joe Schobert at linebacker. They've got former first round pick Devin Bush at linebacker. You've got pro bowlers and TJ Watt on the defense. Cam Hayward's a pro bowler, but that defense just got absolutely blown off the ball. Latavius Murray ran down their throat today. You know, talk, you know, looking at the Baltimore Ravens, though, you know, the Ravens put up a heck of a fight to not have Lamar Jackson, to have all the running back injuries we talked about, and to have Tyler Huntley starting and to still play as tough as they played. Hats off to Baltimore. I look for Baltimore to look significantly different next year. I don't think Jimmy Smith will be back in the secondary, like I said earlier. I don't think Brandon Williams will be back on that defensive line. I think that Baltimore defense has to look different because that Baltimore pass defense was atrocious this year. The fact that Big Ben was able to pick them apart when he needed to says a lot because Big Ben was not picking anybody apart this year. So I think Baltimore is going to have to mix it up here going into the offseason. But looking at the game that I really did not want to talk about, but sadly the NFL put it on the schedule. The Washington football team had to play the New York Giants in week 18 and I hope none of us had to watch it, but if you did had to watch it, I'm sorry. The final score was 22 to 17. The Washington football team did win the football game. Um, and really my biggest takeaways from this game was Joe judge needs to be fired and he needs to be fired immediately. I know Joe judge is only in his second year and last year, the giants almost made the playoffs, but they almost made it at six and 11 and they almost made it at six and 11 because the NFC East goes through this phase where like every other year, they are the biggest joke of professional football. So I don't really give Joe judge credit for that. But the reason I say Joe judge needs to be fired. If you haven't seen the clip, the giants are facing third and nine from their own four yard line. And they run a QB sneak. I don't understand that. Given the fact that you spent, in 2018, you spent the number two overall pick to get Saquon Barkley. You also, last year, spent a top 10 pick to get left tackle Andrew Thomas at the University of Georgia. You spent big money to get tackle Nate Solder, a former first-round pick. You lured him away from New England. So they've invested heavily on that offensive line. They've invested heavily in the running back position. And you're telling me, I understand the whole idea of we're not going to throw it. You know, we're just, you know, we're trying to get room for our punter. Completely understand that. And that's how Joe Judge tried to justify it. But you can't, you don't even have the potential to pick up the first down when you're going with a QB sneak. At least hand it off to Saquon, and maybe you've got the potential to break a run. This is why the Giants look so anemic, is because their coach just coaches to get room to punt. You can't win football games doing that. Obviously, they had to start Jake Fromm. Mike Glennon didn't even play in the football game. And. Through three quarters, the Giants had 94 total yards of offense. If that doesn't sum up this football game, I don't know what will. The only good news for Giants fans is you have two top 10 picks in the upcoming draft, so you've got potential to improve. There is a lot of potential to improve. Dave Gettleman is going to be out as GM. That's another reason I think they need to move on from Joe Judge. Is All reports are Gettleman's going to part ways with the Giants, so if you're going to be getting a new GM... I, to me, now is as good a time as ever to get a new head coach as well. I think the Giants need to do that. As far as the football team goes, it was good to see the defense end on a high note. Obviously, it wasn't very hard when you're playing Jake Fromm. Either way, good for them to close it out strong. Really, for the football team, what I look for is who plays quarterback for them next year. Gardner Minshew is another guy I could see coming in and competing with them. You know, if that's if they want to bring both Taylor Heineke back or, you know, they bring Ryan Fitzpatrick back. What does that look like? Both of those teams have a lot of offseason questions to answer. Moving on, though, let's look at that Titans-Texans game. The Titans were able to hang on, win the football game 28-25, to and clinch the one seed. So the Titans are going to be the one seed in the AFC. They're going to get the first round by. But the Titans did everything in their power to try and lose that football game. And really, from a Texans standpoint, you have to feel good. Because coming into the season, the Texans were projected to maybe win, what, two football games? And the Texans were relevant. They competed. They They weren't good. The Texans were not good this year, but 
I do think David Culley earned a second season as the head coach of the Texans. I've heard some reports that he could be a one-and-done coach. That makes absolutely zero sense to me. In my opinion, David Culley needs to be back as coach. I also think Davis Mills needs to be given a chance to start for them next year. Davis Mills almost orchestrated that comeback, and in my opinion, he looked very good doing it. They need to give Davis Mills a chance to you know, start for them next year. I, I think that the Texans would be wise to, I mean, clearly they're not really trying to compete anytime soon when they're, you know, re-signing guys like Rex Burkhead. So I, I think the Texans would be wise to see what they have in Davis Mills. From a Titans standpoint, Julio Jones caught his first touchdown of the season and only took week 18 to get it. You know, that was supposed to be their big trade this offseason. Obviously, Julio has been banged up this year. I just, is Julio Jones the best wide receiver to not be able to score touchdowns? Like, that man is such an elite talent, but that man cannot get in the end zone to save his life. It absolutely blew my mind that this was his first touchdown of the season. But not to spend too much time on this Titans-Texans game, let's talk about the Colts and Jaguars, though. Trevor Lawrence was absolutely beautiful today. Trevor Lawrence made some throws that made me go, that's the number one overall pick. That is the man who can turn the Jaguars franchise around. Trevor Lawrence looked great today. Marvin Jones finally looked like a wide receiver that, you know, I thought he was. I felt like the Jaguars finally used Marvin Jones the way they should have. Took him till week 18 to figure it out. But hey, better late than never. The Colts, though, I mean, the Colts, all you had to do was beat the Jacksonville Jaguars and you're in. You win and you're in. You controlled your own destiny and you lose to the Raiders the week prior. And then you you don't even, you're not even competitive with the Jaguars today. I mean, the Colts have some serious questions. Is Carson Wentz your starter next year? I think he almost has to be because you gave Philadelphia a third round pick and a first round pick to have Carson Wentz play quarterback for you this year. That was really pitiful. Carson Wentz did not show up at all today. He looked absolutely terrible. And really, it wasn't just Carson Wentz. He got sacked six times today. This Colts offensive line, which is supposed to be better, one of the better offensive lines in football, really struggled today. And it showed because they could not establish the run at all. Jonathan Taylor, the NFL's leading rusher, a guy people had talked about being an MVP candidate, could not get it going at all today. It was really sad to watch that Colts offense. If I'm a Jaguars fan, I mean, you have the best of both worlds. You not only got to win the football game, you got to make a division rival not make the playoffs, but you also still get the number one overall pick. And it'll be interesting to see what Jacksonville does with that because Jacksonville's got a lot of options. In my personal opinion, there's not a clear-cut number one. I think you could go with either defensive end Aiden Hutchinson out of the University of Michigan, or you could go with defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau out of the University of Oregon. Either one, I think, is going to be a great pass rusher for years to come but I'm not really sure that either one moves the needle a ton for Jacksonville right now. Don't be surprised if Jacksonville is involved in trade talks to trade away the number one pick, move back in the draft because they've got a lot of holes they need to fill. I think getting extra picks, extra draft capital, and filling you know kind of quantity over quality right now might help Jacksonville a little more. Looking at their head coaching search too, Jacksonville's got some names on this list of candidates that they plan to interview. Bucks offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, who's a former NFL quarterback, also was an offensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. Interesting interview there. Um, Kellen Moore, you know, former Boise State standout quarterback and former NFL quarterback. He's currently the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. He's another up and comer that they plan to interview. I don't know what they're thinking, though, interviewing Bill O'Brien. You cannot convince me Bill O'Brien is a serious candidate for this job. If Jacksonville Jaguars fans have to deal with Bill O'Brien on the sideline. You think they wore clown masks to today's game against the Colts? See what happens if Trent Bulky and Shad Khan have a press conference introducing Bill O'Brien as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Bill O'Brien should not be the head coach of anywhere, and I don't care that Bill O'Brien went to Alabama, and Alabama's got a great offense this year. Bill O'Brien's the offensive coordinator at Alabama. The offensive coordinator at Alabama always looks good. Steve Sarkeesian looked good as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Lane Kiffin looked good as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. I would look good as the offensive coordinator of Alabama. It's not that hard to be the offensive coordinator of a team that literally fields an offense of nothing but five-star recruits. 
do not give Bill O'Brien the time of day if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. Please, I am begging you, Jacksonville, please don't put that man back in the NFL. But moving on from that game, let's talk about this Packers and Lions game. I predicted that we were going to see Jordan Love the entire game, but the Packers shocked me. They played Aaron Rodgers in the first half, and the Lions were still able to pull out the win 37-30. to I was surprised, though, to see Rodgers play in the football game. I really didn't think they'd play him, but, you know... There is the you know the thought that, well, if we rest Rodgers and then we have the first round bye and then he hasn't played football in a couple weeks, is there rust? Let's at least get him in the first half. So I do understand it a little bit from that standpoint. They still did give Jordan Love an entire half of football, and to be quite honest, Jordan Love played very uninspiring football. This was supposed to be an audition for him to show that he can be the future franchise starter. And in my opinion, all he showed is that the Packers may have wasted a first round pick on him. You know, Jordan Love played the entire second half going 10 of 17 for 134 yards and a touchdown and two interceptions. He had a QBR of 32.7. That's pathetic. I mean, you cannot be a former first round pick. You cannot be a guy that my franchise traded back into the first round to get and come out there and play like that against the Detroit Lions. I mean, there's going to be a lot of questions surrounding Jordan Love, I think. For the Lions, though, this was a huge win. To be able to end the season on a winning note, when it looked like just a few weeks ago that the Lions could seriously go 0-17, hats off to them being able to win three games this year. They've got a lot of questions in the offseason. They've decided to part ways with offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn. Um, Lynn, of course, the former head coach of the San, you know, San Diego and Los Angeles Chargers. So it'll be interesting to see what the Lions do as far as an offensive identity goes. It'll be interesting to see, do they move on from Jared Goff at quarterback or is Goff back quarterbacking them next season? I don't blame this season's, you know, losses on Jared Goff. The Lions have a lot more issues than just Jared Goff. And Jared Goff didn't start every game for them this year. They were having to play guys like Tim Boyle at times this year. So the Lions have a lot of issues to address there. But moving on from that one, Bears and Vikings. Um, I don't want to spend time on this game. But again, the NFL put it on the schedule for us. So we have to talk about it. Vikings do get the win 31 to 17. And in my opinion, that is the last time you will see either Mike Zimmer or Matt Nagy on the sideline for or the Bears and the Vikings, respectively. I don't think Zimmer's back as the Vikings head coach, and I don't expect Nagy to be back as the Bears head coach. Um, neither team looked good. You know, neither team looked good at all. Um, you know, obviously, you can say, well, Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins looked good in this game. They padded their stats. I mean, that's all this was. This was a stat padding performance because this was a completely irrelevant game. Both those teams have a ton of questions in the offseason. The Vikings have to fix their not only their offensive line, but their entire secondary. They invested a ton of draft capital in that secondary, and none of it has panned out. Jeff Gladney, their former first-round pick out of TCU, has been a disaster. He's had a ton of off-field issues. Cameron Dantzler was a middle-round pick out of Mississippi State. He has not really panned out. They you know, brought in Patrick Peterson, but I don't expect Patrick Peterson to want to come back to Minnesota next year. Harrison Smith is a really good safety, but that's about all they've got in the secondary there. And we've talked about their offensive line is an absolute disaster. It's a train wreck. They need a lot of help there. As far as the Chicago Bears go, they've got to get an offensive line because if they don't, they're going to waste Justin Fields. Justin Fields already holds the football too long. Give him a terrible offensive line that doesn't allow him to hold the football, and this is going to be a complete disaster. The Bears have a lot of questions they need to answer there. They also, I think, need to get better receivers. I mean, Darnell Mooney's not bad. Obviously, Allen Robinson's pretty good, but I don't think Allen Robinson will be back. He played on the franchise tag this past year. So the Bears got a lot of questions there. It'll be interesting to see what both those teams do this offseason. Looking, though, at that Patriots and Dolphins game, the Dolphins get the win 33-24. to And really, you know, it was a meaningless game for really the Dolphins as far as they were already eliminated from playoff contention. The Patriots were playing for the division, and they looked like they could care less. I mean, the Pats' run defense was awful today. Duke Johnson looked like an all-pro, the former Cleveland Brown Duke Johnson. He may have solved the Dolphins' running back issue, though. I will tell you that. I think Duke Johnson's going to be on that Dolphins team next year, and I think he's going to be playing starting running back for them, which Dolphins fans should be somewhat excited about because you won't have to watch guys like Patrick Laird play running back for you anymore. But that Patriots' run defense was atrocious, and I, I had some Patriots fans tell me, well, we didn't have Dante Hightower, and we didn't have Kyle Duggar, and Miles Bryant didn't play. And Patriots fans, I'm telling you, that does not matter. 
you cannot like Duke Johnson behind the Dolphins offensive line go for over 100 yards on you. You just can't let that happen. Not when you're playing for a division title. The Pats run defense struggled. The Pats also had a couple injuries, though, in this game to keep an eye on. Christian Barmore, their rookie second round pick, defensive tackle out of Alabama. He gets hurt. He's scheduled for an MRI tomorrow, and that's a huge loss. He's top 10 in the entire NFL in pressures. That man has played some great football for them this year. They absolutely need him to have a chance against Buffalo in the playoffs. Um, Isaiah Wynn, their left tackle, he gets hurt. He doesn't play in the second half. That was a huge loss for them as well. Be interesting to see. Keep an eye on both those injuries as we get into playoff football. Tua Tugavailoa, though, we got to talk about Tua. Because although the Dolphins won, Tua only threw for 109 yards passing. And in my opinion, Tua did not do enough to make me think that he is the Dolphins' long-term answer at quarterback. I think the Dolphins are another team that they absolutely have to bring in competition for Tua this offseason. Their backup quarterback position, I mean, I know they had Jacoby Brissett there, and people thought, well, maybe Jacoby Brissett will push Tua. Jacoby Brissett really wasn't going to push him. Outside of Jacoby Brissett, the only other quarterback on the roster was Reed Sinnott, so they've got to bring in a little more competition. In my personal opinion, they need to call Ryan Fitzpatrick and see if Ryan Fitzpatrick wants to come back to Miami because I think Ryan Fitzpatrick would push Tua better than anybody. I also think he may help Tua develop, you know, at a better rate than any other quarterback. And I, if they don't get any development from Tua, I really think you got to move on to, from him after next year because the bottom line is he's just not playing good football. Patriots, my other takeaway with them, you know, real quick is they have got a killer pass defense. This is now five straight games where they have held opposing quarterbacks under 140 yards passing. That is a really impressive feat, and it's something that should not go unnoticed. The only issue is you're holding quarterbacks under 140 yards passing, but in all of those games, you gave up a 100-yard rusher. So that means, although your pass defense is playing phenomenal, your run defense is atrocious. And guess what? Against Buffalo, Josh Allen doesn't need to beat you through the air. He can beat you on the ground. He had over 60 yards rushing today against the Jets. Josh Allen can run the football, and the Bills' rush, you know, rushing attack actually looks like it's figuring itself out. So... New England's got to get that run defense right before their playoff matchup with the Bills. Looking at that Rams and 49ers game, though, Matthew Stafford is just, he is an interception throwing machine right now. His interception that he threw in overtime obviously sealed the deal. The 49ers win the football game 27-24 in overtime. And with that win, the 49ers get into the playoffs and hats off to them. Jimmy Garoppolo played hurt today and he was, he did just enough to win the game. But I think really the big takeaways are one Debo Samuel is special. He not only ran for a touchdown today, he also threw a touchdown today. Debo Samuel is a special weapon that they have on that Rams offense. Of course, Debo being the wide receiver out of South Carolina, Kyle Shanahan, he is such a smart coach. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has to be one of the best offensive minds in football, and he showed it today with his creativity and play calling. And really, hats off to that 49er defense. They absolutely stymied the Rams. I mean, the Rams were up 17 to nothing. The Rams blew a 17-point lead in this game. And really, that 49er defense, just they played lights out in the second half. For the Rams, really, this is this has to be a concern because they are not playing their best football heading into the playoffs. This, this Rams team looks like they really could be a one-and-done in the playoffs, and what a disaster that would be for GM Les Snead, who's pretty much mortgaged the future with the trades he's made to go get Matthew Stafford, to go get Jalen Ramsey, to go get Von Miller. So they have to make a playoff run because they do not have draft capital to build young talent, and they do not have... the. They just they don't have salary cap space. They've given Cooper Cup a big contract. They've given Aaron Donald a big contract. Obviously, you've got Matt Stafford's contract on the book. Jalen Ramsey. They have a ton of guys that they have wrapped up big money into. They can't afford to really go get big names, and they don't have draft capital anymore because they've traded it all away already. They got to make a run in the playoffs. As far as the 49ers go, I think the 49ers are a threat in the playoffs. That rushing attack with Elijah Mitchell, that's a scary rushing attack. And the thing is, is the 49ers did all this today while resting their star left tackle, Trent Williams. Trent Williams is arguably the best left tackle in football, and he didn't play today, and the Rams rushing attack did not skip a... I'm sorry, the 49ers rushing attack did not skip a beat. So... That 49ers team, I'm, I'm, you know, not to foreshadow too much into, 
you know, a later week's podcast, but I'm here to tell you, I think that 49ers team is going to give the Cowboys a run for their money, to say the least. Moving on from that game, though, let's look at the Seahawks and Cardinals game. This obviously was a huge game for the fact that a lot of people, myself included, believe that either Russell Wilson won't be back or Pete Carroll won't be back. So the Seahawks are expected to look a lot different. And if this was the final game of the Carroll-Wilson era in Seattle, it did end on a high note. They win the game against the Cardinals 38-30. to And have a day, Rashad Penny. Penny, obviously the former first-round pick running back out of San Diego State. He had 190 yards rushing today. Rashad Penny finally looks like he maybe figured out how to play football in the NFL. Be interesting to see if he can carry over the late season success into next season and is his emergence enough to convince Russell Wilson to stay because I'll be honest I don't think Seattle can afford to fire Pete Carroll he has a massive buyout that the Seahawks would be on the hook for and the bottom line I'm not sure Seattle gets a better coach than Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson's arguments are still very valid he wants a better offensive line he wants more talent around him and Seattle didn't do enough to really I think, sway Wilson into staying. I think Wilson's going to be gone. I think the Seahawks are going to look drastically different next year. And as far as the Arizona Cardinals are concerned, that is another team that is playing bad football at the wrong time. I know they beat the Cowboys last week, but then they went right back to not knowing how to play defense. I know their defense came out. They scored an early touchdown. Zach Allen with the fumble recovery, you know, the scoop and score gets him in the end zone real quick but then the defense forgot how to play. I mean, obviously we talked about Rashad Penny goes for over 190 yards on him. Really the only redeeming, you know, quality the Cardinals had today is James Conner played good football, got into the end zone a couple times. It'll be interesting though to see can the Cardinals turn it on? Can they get it going? There's talk that JJ Watt could be back for the playoff game against the Rams. It'll be interesting to see who do the Cardinals have for that game and can they turn it on for that game? Looking though at this Panthers Buccaneers game, Buccaneers, they played all their starters. They won 41 17. I know I had talked a little bit about would we see Kyle Trask play the Buccaneers. They wanted to lock up the two seed. They did it. Tom Brady goes 29 to 37 for 326 yards and three touchdowns. He looked like vintage Brady. And on top of getting vintage Brady, we got vintage Gronk. Rob Gronkowski had seven catches for 137 yards in this game. The Bucks did not mess around. They had absolutely no rushing attack. That was no problem. Their leading rusher was a wide receiver, Scotty Miller. He went for a little over 30 yards. Buccaneers, though, they look like they're going to be a tough out. It's just getting healthy at this point for them. As far as Carolina Panthers, that's just painful. That was painful football to watch towards the end of the year. They they don't have much redeeming quality. They got a nice right tackle in Taylor Mouton. Outside of that, you know, they got a couple players on defense, you know, Jeremy Chin, Derek Brown, Brian Burns. You would like to see Christian McCaffrey get healthy, but is his contract worth keeping on the books? He's the high at you know, at the time he signed it, he was the highest paid running back in the NFL. Um, he's no longer the highest paid running back in the NFL, but he still hardly is ever on the field anymore. I think the Carolina Panthers are gonna look marginally different. The questions I have is do they bring Sam Darnold back at quarterback? They owe him eighteen million dollars next year, so they can't really just move on from him. On top of the fact they gave the Jets a second-round pick to go get him, I think you have to kind of stick with Darnold for next year. But they've got to fix their offensive line. You cannot roll out. Um, you can't roll out Pat Elf line at guard. You can't play Cam Irving at tackle. You just can't. They've got to fix that offensive line. The receiving core I thought would be better. I thought Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore would be better for them this year. I think they missed Curtis Samuel a ton. I'm surprised Matt Rule's going to be back, but the Panthers, if they are going to bring Matt Rule back, they do have to find a new offensive coordinator. They did fire Joe Brady, you know, the former LSU offensive coordinator. Joe Brady's probably most known for being the offensive coordinator for LSU when Joe Burrow won the national title there. So they're going to have to find a new offensive coordinator. It'll be interesting to see what the Panthers do this offseason. Saints Falcons, you know, that was a lot of pain for the Saints. They won the game 30 to 20. They did what they needed to do, but they just couldn't get into the playoffs. Obviously, with the 49ers beating the Rams, that eliminated the Saints from playoff contention. The Saints, though, hats off to them. They played four different starting quarterbacks this year. At one point, Jameis Winston was their starter, then Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, Ian Book started a game for them. Hats off to the Saints for even having a winning record this year. You know, a lot of questions there as far as just what's it going to take to get them over the hump. I think they also need another receiver. Kind of sticking with the theme of teams who need receivers, the Saints are definitely one. I know Michael Thomas didn't play for them this year, and that hurt them. 
but they need another wide receiver. Marquez Callaway, he's not going to get it done. I don't think Traquan Smith will either. Need a real good number two there. As far as the Falcons go, I, you know, thought maybe they would move on from Matt Ryan. You really can't, though. Matt Ryan's due over $40 million next year. There's no way to move on from Matt Ryan. But really what was disappointing was they have absolutely no rushing attack. They've invested multiple first-round picks on that offensive line, and it's still abysmal. I mean, Mike Davis was their leading rusher today with only 30 yards rushing. That's unacceptable. The Falcons got a lot to answer, and they've got their works cut out for them. I tell you, I don't know that the Falcons can fix this and fix it anytime soon. But looking at the final game of Week 18, it was the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills, and the Bills took care of business. They won 27-10, and they wrapped up the AFC East divisional title. But I'm telling you, the Bills' offense is not good enough to win a Super Bowl. They've just got – their offense is not inspiring. I know they won 27-10, to 10, but this game was a lot closer. At one point, well into the second half, this was a 13-10 to 10 game, and the Jets were right there to win the football game. So the Buffalo Bills got a lot of questions to answer. You know, Josh Allen, he did play decent. He ran for over 60 yards. He went 24 of 45 for 239 and two touchdowns. Zach Wilson really struggled. He only had seven completions, going seven of 20 for 87 yards and a touchdown. Um, but it's that offensive line. Zach Wilson has absolutely no line to protect him. George Fant should not be starting at tackle in the NFL. I hope Mekhi Becton gets healthy for them. Becton was their first-round pick at tackle last year out of Louisville. He is a monster of a man and really looks like he's going to be a good tackle for them. You know, I think Elijah Very Tucker, their rookie guard out of USC, I think he's a nice pick. I didn't really agree with them trading up to get him, but I think he's going to help that line, but they've got to fix that line. And they'll also have multiple first-round picks, including two top 10 first-round picks to work with. I wouldn't be surprised to see them invest one on the offensive line. Could see them take a guy like Tyler Linderbaum, the center out of Iowa. He would immediately shore up the middle of that line. And then also another pick I could see them going is receiver. You know, they invested a second round pick just a couple of years ago on Denzel Mims. That's been a bust. I thought he was going to be really good coming out of Baylor. He has been a disaster. Corey Davis, they spent a lot of money to lure him away from Tennessee this offseason. He has, you know, he was injured, so he didn't play a ton. Jamison Crowder, you know, nice complimentary receiver, but he shouldn't be your top guy. Braxton Berrios led them in receiving multiple times this year. Braxton Berrios is a former six-round pick out of Miami, and the New England Patriots drafted him. And when they drafted him, I thought maybe he's their future slot receiver. The Patriots didn't even keep him after the preseason. They cut him in the preseason. So Braxton Berrios should not be leading anybody in receiving. They do have some talent. They've got a lot of young guys. You know, Michael Carter, the running back out of North Carolina, looks like he could be a nice complimentary piece for them. They've got some nice guys on that defense. Quinnen Williams out of Alabama. Looks like he's going to be a stud defensive tackle. He's starting to come into form. So there's things there for the Jets. Now you've got to, you know, shore it up. You really need to work on that secondary. They played a ton of young guys this year. You know, Ashton Davis, the safety out of Cal. You know, they were playing Marcus May. You know, they, they've got to shore up that secondary. Um, but there's a lot to work with there. I think Robert Sala should feel encouraged with having the amount of first-round picks and really just draft capital they have. But that is the Week 18 review. That's Week 18's review. We've hit every game, kind of, you know, touched on the teams who didn't make the playoffs, you know, a little bit of what they can look forward to in the offseason. But looking ahead to the later week's podcast, Wednesday, of course, is going to be Hot Take Wednesday. Um, we've got a good one in store for you there. And then Friday, we will preview more in-depth of the playoff matchups. We'll look at them a little more closely and really dig into those. Um let us know again, rate, subscribe, review the podcast. We want your feedback. And as always, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Take care and have a good one. We'll see you.